Video killed the radio star is a great statement on power of visuals. Then again, the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence or even the book of Genesis are great statements about the power of the written word. Welcome to the show. This is episode four of Earbud You. Look, I could talk to marketers all day, but then this would be a marketing podcast instead of a conflict engagement podcast. Our good friend Ellen Barton, who owns White Knight Productions, based out of Bestville, New York, is a lot of things. She's a mother, a wife, a business owner, a creative, a pioneer, and a visionary, but most importantly, most importantly, she is a bootstrapper. Her story, and the story of White Knight Productions, is the story of patience, timing, and making your mark the second that you can, but not a second later, and not a second early. Look. What we say when we don't talk is more important than what we say when we open our mouths. Long has society recognized this, codifying it everywhere from Proverbs to the writing of the Founding Fathers. Look, everyone knows keeping your mouth shut and monitoring your body language will used to be thought to be a gift rather than a learned skill. And in the world of the internet, body language and nonverbal communication is even more important with the rise of video over verbal and negotiation that combines the body and the voice. Now, with the usual stuff, you can connect with Earbud U on Twitter at Earboard underscore U. You can also check us out on Instagram. We tweet and post images on both of those social platforms with the hashtag be part of the show. We are part of our parent company, Human Services Consulting and Training, out of Endicott, New York. So check out the HSCT website at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. Finally, as for Ellen Barton and White Knight Productions, check her out www.whitenightpro.com. Her blog and booking information are all there. To connect with White Knight socially on Facebook and Twitter, just search White Knight Productions. Connect with Ellen Barton professionally on LinkedIn for all of your video content marketing needs. And now, let's get into it. Welcome to Earbud You. Episode four, get your knowledge on through your earbuds. Our special guest for our show today is Ellen Barton, CEO of White Knight Productions. White Knight Productions is the premier video-driven marketing solutions provider in the southern tier of New York State, right around the Binghamton, uh, Vestal, Johnson City area. Ellen is an accomplished and passionate marketer, advertising advocate, speaker, and networker. And I'm proud to call her um, a friend of mine who really works really awesomely in this space, as we were just talking about. So, welcome to Earbud You, Ellen. Thanks, Hassan. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. So, um, let's start off for our listeners, you know, kind of really talking about what it is that you do exactly. Let's, let's really delve into that and kind of figure out who you are, who White Knight is, and kind of where you're going with this project. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I personally do is I have the pleasure of managing a wonderful team of passionate, um, excellence-driven marketers and um, artists here at White Knight. I think the one thing that defines us as a company and um, really is the exemplary word to uh, talk about anybody that works here is this passion for excellence and this drive to um, keep producing work that's better than what we produced yesterday. Uh, we really provide, I think, uh, big city quality here in Binghamton, New York. And we, we service a large uh, regional area, but, uh, you know, obviously we're not located in the big city, but we're, we're producing work that stands up. 
Excellent. Yeah. Well, talk to me. You said you're not servicing a large regional area, and obviously, you know, I'm working in the Binghamton area. You're working in the Binghamton area. We kind of know what that looks like. But for the benefit of our listeners who are kind of sort of outside of New York State or don't really have a, an idea of what not working in a large regional area means, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? How does that play into the products and services that you offer clients? Well, um, just to clarify, we, we are located in upstate New York. We're about three hours mm-hmm. from New York City. Um, I, I find when I speak to many people in other parts of the country, New York means only one thing, and that's the Big Apple. But, um, you know, obviously our state's a lot larger than that. So um, <clears throat> here at White Knight, we work with clients that are local to this area, but we also work with people all over the region and the country. Jason, I need to cough. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Take a, <laughs> go ahead, cough. It's okay. Go ahead, take take a cough. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, no, we also work with people all over the region and the country, and that's the beauty of this modern day. Um, not so necessary to, you know, even be face to face. We're right now we're skyping. Um, so much can be done via internet and Dropbox and FTP sites and all of that. That um, it isn't absolutely necessary to be physically in the same place as clients. And that opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the principles of, you know, human services consulting and training of which Earbud U is, you know, the podcast division is really the principle of building um, across boundaries because the, you know, the internet and the World Wide Web have sort of opened up, and I use the old term World Wide Web, but have sort of opened up the, um, the, the pl- platforms that sort of allowed us to create these platforms that allow us to really engage with folks, not just nationally, but also globally. Yeah, exactly. There, there are so, much, so many possibilities now, and I think the ability as a marketer to you know, talk directly to the customer on a personal level is really exciting, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something that we do, I think, very well at White Knight is ex- not exploit social media, but use it very well. Um, I, of course, <laughs> one, one of the things I, do, I think we do here at White Knight is use social media very well to um, communicate directly to customers almost on a one-to-one basis where we can target very carefully people's interests and their, um, their likes, what, what they're looking for in a product or what they're interested in with the product, and talk to them directly. It's very easy to segment the market, and, um, and I think that's a big strength. Now, how do you, how do you, how do you create those, um, those kinds of segments? Like, what does that process look like? Well, it's a little different for every um, client we're working with, and a lot of it depends on their goals and strategies that we put into place, but um, it's a lot of analytics defining their target market, and, and the more carefully you can um, you know, identify those targets, the more carefully you can um, message to those specific demographics. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we live in the world. We live in a world of metrics and analytics and big data now. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm reading a book actually on predictive analytics right now. It's something that's absolutely fascinating to me. And I've read, you know, the opposite of that: the the Nicholas Nassim Taleb, the Black Swan type type uh, type theories around you know predicting um, future events and you know becoming really predictive. But big data, you know, we're gathering. That, and that's one of the things that I say during my presentations and trainings, particularly around the social media area. We're gathering all this data. How are we using it to make wise decisions? You know, we have all this intelligence, but maybe the wisdom part is really lagging behind. Yeah, I I think that that can be true. Um, 
and I think that it's possible for certain um, business people to perhaps use it for <laughs> unscrupulous reasons. Um, but of course, that's that's not no, not a, not unscrupulous reasons. Well, <laughs> I I think that you know, with all that knowledge comes a certain level of power, and um, you know, you you've seen enough movies and uh, you know read the news enough to know that um, when people who have, you know, lesser morals than you or I may gather some of this information and, you know, use it for their own benefit, um, which is probably a really bad tangent to go down. Hazel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to go down that tangent yeah. in, this, in this interview right now. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to kind of keep it above, uh, above the table. Um, but you know, you and I both have our, have our, we've talked, and, and we haven't talked about it, but I'm sure if you and I talked about it long enough, you know, we'd come to um, probably some similar um, conclusions um, around the nature of how big data is used and those kinds of, and those kinds of things, those kinds of applications. But as you said, I like the, the term there, unscrupulous people. But um, let's, um, let's talk about, you know, working in, in Europe, because I know you have a background in doing that. Um, and I know, you know, you worked with Technicolor. Um, so uh, talk to me about working in Europe, kind of how, what was that process like? What was it like to, to really work inside of a, inside of a European cultural structure? Um, because, you know, as an American, obviously, I come from a certain historical mm-hmm. and cultural um, mindset and background. But <laughs> Europe is... Um, Europe is something a little bit different, obviously. And so talk to me a little bit about that. What was that experience like? Um, That experience was really the foundation for a lot of the work I do now and was the beginning of my professional life after college. Um, Working in Europe was very interesting. My first job was working at a radio station in Prague, and um, I was on air on the radio station doing news, and I also had a cultural show which was um, fantastic because I was um, allowed the the possibility to go to a lot of shows and art exhibits and uh, concerts <laughs> and things and review these these events and, and speak to the artists. It was really a great job. <laughs> so that was fantastic. But um, and Prague is just a cultural mecca. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. it's Prague. You know, yeah, it's it's a beautiful city. I was actually there for five years and. Um, had a lot of you know wonderful experiences traveling and also working after the radio station i moved on and worked in the film studio they have quite a large um, film studio called barandoff and um i got to work on a couple feature films which was a lot of fun and i learned a lot working with uh, mainly american and international crews and then there was always a check component to the crews as well and um where i tended to gravitate was to the production office so i learned so much about managing production and um, working at a very high level. Um, also, I spoke Czech, so I had to learn all those words in Czech. Oh, oh, oh! Wait, 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 wait! You, you spoke Czech. Do you do you do you remember? Do you remember any Czech? Do you know any Czech? Well, Can we get a sample I of that? think it's a little rusty, but uh, I, well, you know, hey, for the benefit of our Czech listeners, you know, um, how would you give them, say, a shout out? Um. How would that sound? It would say "Dobry dan, jak se máte." That does not sound rusty to me. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I can't. I can't. I don't have that capacity. I I can say "Hola," and that's about the extent <laughs> of of my foreign language uh, expertise. So, 
Awesome. Well, you said you're working on multicultural crews. This is, you know, I'm a conflict resolution guy. I'm a conflict communication guy. I'm at my core, you know, peace building, mediation, that kind of stuff, but also the social stuff, which opens up an entirely different area for conflict. But when you're there working with a multicultural crew, you know, Czechs, um, you know, Americans, and I'm assuming folks from all other other countries in Europe, um, what is that like? Like, how do you how do you navigate? And, and maybe you weren't managing them, but how did you see other the folks who were managing those crews navigate that process? And I'm fascinated by feature films, so mm. we're going to kind of go down this road a little bit too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was very interesting working in that environment and um, being one of the foreigners that could speak the language because there definitely was a divide. There was an economic divide where the Americans were making more money. And, um, you know, essentially had the power, even though the films were co-produced with Czech crews, the Americans were truly making the decisions. Um, there, I don't really know how conflicts were, were managed because I don't think they were managed well. Mm-hmm. I think that there was um well and that's and that's one of the principles not to interrupt you but that's one of the principles of conflict resolution is that you know not all conflict is managed well like yeah. that's one of the that's one of the principles and that's why you know that's why I exist to work in this space it doesn't <laughs> it, as a matter of fact it's almost 90% of the time it's almost never managed well you know so yeah i think they definitely could have used your expertise there a bit um the the way that it hap- the way that it was done was there was a leader of the Czech crew that would meet with the Americans and then just pass on information. But um, the reason it really wasn't managed well is it was mostly directives that were passed mm-hmm. on rather than questions. Hmm. So I can't say that there was a huge amount of conflict, but I think it could have been better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, and when you, there were underlying okay. resentments. There was, there was, uh, it, it, it wasn't a terrible situation, but you know, there's always room for improvement. Right, right. Well, and you know what? You you take from those situations, and you take from those experiences, and then you take the good, and you take the bad, and you try to distill out the good, mm-hmm. um, and you try to move forward with that as you build your own company, you know, and as you build your own your own idea and your own project. Um, you said there was a lot of top-down, kind of a top-down management style. Is that sort of how you would describe it? Um, yeah, it is, and I think that's normal for, mm-hmm. you know, many organizations. I think it's normal for feature films because things have to get done on schedule, and yep. it's, um, you know, it's, people know their position, and mm-hmm. there's not <laughs> a lot of time for discussion. Right. Well, and, and you know what I mean? You said it was um, it was five years after you um, – or you worked there for five years. I was there for five in, years. In that process. For five, you were there for five years. Okay. After you got out of college, I won't have you tell me when you got out of college. <laughs> I won't have you tell me when that year was. But um, I'm assuming that was either close to or around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall and sort of those, those kinds of uh, political and economic and cultural shifts as well, right? Yeah, it was actually right after that. So I graduated okay. in 91 – and went over there and um, had been there previously as well. Um, I first traveled to Eastern Europe in, I think it was 88. Mm-hmm. So um, even between 88 and 91, a lot of things changed. And um, it, it was a very interesting time to be there. When I first moved to the Czech Republic, there were a lot of things you couldn't get, like salad, bananas, you know, just <laughs> normal things. 
And that definitely changed during the five years. Towards the end, there was a McDonald's, or actually, I think there were more than one McDonald's. Not that I would frequent them, but <laughs> there were, you know, all these chains coming in, and it was very getting very, very westernized. Um, after I worked on a couple of feature films, I went on and worked with this video production company that did a lot of advertising across um, Europe, and that was very interesting because um, their campaigns, their, their, their commercials would run throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different, you know, cultural concerns in all the different countries and, um, you know, things to talk about. It was very interesting, even mm-hmm. making something as simple as, you know, a coffee ad or whatever. Right. You had to consider, well, how does this look in Italy or how does this look in England? <laughs> Yeah, what are the what are the metrics in you know Russian for the well maybe not Russian but what are the metrics in you know French for this ad? What are the metrics in Spanish for this ad? What yeah. are the metrics in Hungarian for this ad? And then you know breaking down into you know different I'm assuming different dialects even in in those languages and how does that how does that play off? Right. You know. So okay. Right. Um, well now the the process of going through this this very formative experience. Um, working in, in Europe and working in Prague and, and being involved in that process must have given you some, some mentors or some people that you looked up to. So why don't you, why don't you talk with us about who those individuals were in, in advertising or marketing? Or, or did you just come out and you said, you know what, totally clean, you know, I'm going to come to this thing, you know, <laughs> totally is the wind driven snow and I'm going to be good. No, I mean, I think you are, at least my perspective is to always be learning from mm-hmm everybody I'm working with and um, I, I, I'm just always interested in reading books and, and learning what people think and, and trying to uh, soak up as much knowledge as possible. So in, um, in Prague, I worked with a great advertising man. His name was James Joyce and he was English and, um, and a great director, Valentine Wydom. He was uh, Dutch and I just learned so much from both of them. They, James Joyce was um, just such a character and had this old school advertising mindset and um, so many great I'm stories. So, so, oh, you got stories. Oh, you got stories. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he had okay, stories, a, and he what's, he was fabulous. what's a story that you could tell us that he that he that he had a sort of a, like a I'm assuming like a because I love the old school sort of crusty Don Draper types who are still around. Don Draper, you know, yeah, I know, right? Well, I maybe mean, you know that's you know that's the, that's the paradigm, right, that we've set up now as because of the show Mad Men. But you know, I love those those old school crusty types. You know, I could sell a pair of pants, 10,000 pieces in like 10 minutes, you know, you know yeah. for one commercial, you know, and then I went out and had a couple of drinks. Was he that kind of guy or was he more of the, you know what, let's let's sort of honor the um, let's sort of honor the customers um, or honor the audiences, not really the customer, but honor the audience's mindset. I mean, how did how did he come down on that? Um, he was, he, he wasn't so crusty. I've worked with some of those as well, (laughs) but, um, James Joyce was just someone that had a big perspective. He'd worked throughout Europe, uh, for his career and brought so much to the table. Just, just brought, um, so many insights into anything that was being discussed and, uh, took, all the campaigns we ever worked on to a, a new level 
he was one of those people that could just, um, you know, say a word or, or move the text over just a little bit and it made all the difference. Or he, he would tell us to tweak the color in that, um, the, the, the cereal commercial, <laughs> and just make it a little bit more red. And he just right. had this amazing innate ability to um, make it great. Yeah. And is he? Yeah, and and he he's a he was just a wonderful person to work with. Is he? Um, I I don't know. Is he still working today? Is he still around? What is he? He actually now? he retired from advertising and uh, he moved to a small town in England, and became a postmaster. Awesome. He's awesome, right? That's great. I love that. Yeah, he is fantastic. And and I've had the pleasure to work with a few other, you know, old school advertising people. And I think that even with the digital age and with all of this great technology that we were talking about, there's so much to be said for uh, you know, drawing on those big pads of paper and and um you know, the, the old way of doing things, the old process of thinking, the tangible items that you you create and you touch and you yeah. interact with, I think there's so much to be said for that. And there's something about the, the process of making that that's, I think, not duplicatable with a computer, to, to right. be honest. Well, it's interesting to me, and I'm, I'm, of course, seeing this from the perspective of someone who's coming in who's, you know, in their 30s coming in. Um, I'm probably – and I often tell this to people. I'm, I'm probably the last generation. I'm part of the last generation, as is anybody who's in their mid to early 30s, the last generation to actually remember when there was no Internet, right. you know, no Google. Um, and so I'm at that weird sort of – I'm at that weird age where I'm at that the crossover happened in my lifetime. You know, I remember in 1994 hearing about the Internet and going, I don't know what – I was in high school at the time. I was like, I don't know, I don't know what that means. I'm going to go outside and shoot hoops. I don't know. And seeing advertising, advertisements on TV and even then, you know, filtering out – and I was getting more of an artistic eye, but even then filtering out kind of what was good and what was bad. And I was really getting into film and really getting into movies and really becoming engaged with sort of – thematic enterprises. I remember sitting down watching Braveheart and going, this is, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was inside of Mel Gibson, you know, <laughs> and really figuring out which director's vision I liked and which ones I didn't. And then as I've, you know, built my business and, and coming more into the marketing aspect, I will say this, I am a sucker for the digital stuff. I am, you know, I, uh, I was watching, what was I watching the other day? I was talking to with my wife about this. I was watching uh, daytime television, which I never watch. And uh, there was some advertisement that came on for JCPenney and it's at it's at, now now think about the slot for this ad. It's a national ad for J.C. Penney. It's a great ad with a woman, and there's like pants, and there's a mom, and a bunch of kids, and you know you talk about the red being just right. The red was just right, and the blue was just white. It was this tangible object, but at the same time, <laughs> in the in the lower you know right hand corner of the screen, there was a uh, 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 an imp an imprinted hashtag for what is mom. <laughs> I'm thinking, why, why would you do that when you're advertising and running the spot at 12:30 on a on a Monday afternoon? Like your audience that's going to be seeing this is not your target audience is going to be seeing this is going to go buy pants from J.C. Penney, which is what you're moving here. They they don't they don't even know, they're confused by that. They don't even know what that is, and it went by just like that, you know. Um, so the. The, and when I see this in, in local things too, just as a parallel, you know, where sometimes I'll complain to my wife, why is, why are we using advertising to to sell me the internet? <laughs> like I know, 
I know you're there. You know, I know you're on social media. I can go, I can go find you. But I'm at that weird intersection where folks who are younger than I, they're, they're not fascinated with the, with the, with the, you know, the actual, um, the artifact itself. They're not as fascinated with that. They're very, very comfortable with the digital content piece. So. Yeah. And I think digital is great too. There's so much we can do with it and I'm not, you know, saying not to use it by any means. No, (laughs) not at all. But I do think that being able to do both is, is valuable. Um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just a couple of years older than you and, um, you know, do remember not having the internet. I think there's a lot of value to that. I see that in my kids. They, they're always connected and, um, and sometimes in myself, like today, we're um, trying out this new super high speed fiber optic connection for our internet here at work. And um, for some reason, on my laptop, which I was working on today, I kept getting knocked off of the internet. And mm-hmm. I had this like in, the, this reaction of, "Oh no, I can't work." But of course, I can work. Right. I don't need the internet. Yeah. So I think. You know, it just needs to be balanced. We need to be able yeah. to do both. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I have a bachelor in fine arts. So, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I do for my business comes from having that, that fine art perspective. And, and, you know, having a wife who's a photographer is also helpful. She keeps me in check, you know, about what's good and what's not. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the type of content that you create with White Knight Productions. Um, a lot of it is, is, is obviously native to, you know, the digital spaces, you know, native to the web, native to YouTube, and you guys are really, really navigating that space really awesomely right now. I'd like to give a shout out to your YouTube channel. Everybody go look at it. Um, doing some amazing stuff with um, with local vendors and just and, and plenty of others. But how do you develop content that's native to, to platforms? Because you know as well as I do, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, these, these social distribution channels, which is how I think of them. I think of them as CBS, Fox, UPN, the WB, you know, I think of them as, as, as digital, in essence, digital channels, not necessarily content creation machines, but how do you develop native content when you're working with, um, when you work with a client that maybe doesn't understand what that means and this thing's content is content is content and just, just push it already, you know? Well, we, uh, how do you, how do you have that educational conversation is in essence what I'm asking because I'm an educational guy. How do you have that educational conversation? And then the sub question to that is how do you develop that content? Yeah, I think that, um, when you're talking about video content, anytime we're developing, um, content for the web, which I'd like to differentiate from, you know, strictly an ad, but content for the web, we're always thinking about the audience and what they want to see. And, um, what would be of value to them. A lot of what we produce is educational on some level. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, in my experience, it hasn't been a hard sell to convince the client to go in that direction. We um, typically have very good relationships with our clients and have put a lot of um, investment into working with them up front to come up with a strategy that makes sense. We, we, our usual process is to define their overall goals and um, then work on that strategy that everybody's comfortable with. And from the strategy comes the tactics, you know, the, the things, the actual physical things you're going to do to achieve the the goals. The goals. And, um, you know, by the time we get to the point of actually developing content, 
we're pretty much normally on the same page. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, you, but you're, you know, you're, you're obviously the person that's going to go in and say, uh, just like James did, hey, let's make it a little more red, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Or, you know, let's make, uh, let's make that wall behind you a little bit more purple. Or, you know, let's, uh, let's knock down that green over there because, you know, those two colors, eh, you know, whatever. You, like, you're going you're gonna to kind of make that decision, you know, at, at a certain point, right? The client's going to sort of trust you with that, right? Right. And that's, in an ideal world, that's exactly what happens. Um, and sometimes it's our job to very gently say no to the clients. If right. um, if they're a little misguided and, uh, you know, you try to steer them in a different direction, we always think about our work as very collaborative. Mm-hmm. And because we put so much stake and so much time and investment into that initial process, we usually don't have too many problems. That's our approach to conflict management. <laughs> yes, good. Um, <laughs> to be really good listeners and to have the discussions up front so that, Everybody understands before there's a heated, emotionally laden, you know, um, thing happening. So that's um, that. That's kind of been our approach. Um, that said, sometimes it does happen that you know the client <laughs> yeah. is asking for something that really won't serve them well, and at that point, um, you know, we definitely attempt to have a conversation that would you know, help them, oh, help us help yeah. you conversation. Help us help you. Help me help you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Help me help you. As a consultant, I have, you know, particularly in conflict resolution. Oh my gosh. Because by the time the client brings me in, you know, stuff has already happened. The emotional content is already there. And I've had clients where, you know, I have to sit down and say, listen, I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. <laughs> and uh, this is, this is how this is going to happen. And, you know, you can make a decision if this is a direction you want to go down. Either I can work with you either way. It's just one way will be more difficult, one way will be less difficult, but either way there's going to be difficulty because of the space we're at right now, which is why, you know, human services consulting and training and Earbud you really focuses on, like you said, the collaborative piece and the skills training piece, um, which is really, really key for, 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 for brand development over here. But it's really, really key, the collaborative pieces for White Knight as well, and I, I really do like that. Yeah, yeah, I do too. That's one of my favorite parts of my job is working so closely with clients. And I think a lot of the um, conflict is alleviated because in so much as it's possible, we really work on setting up expectations up front and making sure everybody's clear. Sometimes we even have, um, for new clients, sometimes we even have a set of rules, like this is this is your job and this is our <laughs> job. and. Yeah, just I I like to try to spell everything out as much as possible because when it's clear, it it just solves problems down the road and okay. and I think it helps you get to that level of trust faster. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, let's talk about you know kind of let's talk about you know the frustrations because you know I know as a person building a business. Um, there are times when, and my one of my favorite movies is, is High Fidelity. I use this example all the time. It was one of my favorite films. I um, actually just got uh, just got my wife to watch it the other day, finally for the first time. One of my favorite films. And you know, he's he's in there and he's he's depressed and he's like, you know, why don't I just pack it all in and go work at a coconut? <laughs> you know, he I mean, he's, he built this this old school record store in Chicago from nothing, and uh, you know, he's having all these other life problems, and it just he hits that tipping point where he's just like. I'm going to go over the edge. I'm finished. I'm going to drop it all. I'm out. 
you know, and just just run away. And sometimes I have those moments as well. And so I've asked I've asked every every earbud you guest, you know, do you ever have that moment, you know, in White Knight where you're sitting there one day, like you said, you know, you got the new fiber optic, high speed, whiz bang internet. Is there any point in time where you're just sitting there going with a client or maybe just quietly in your office, just like, you know what? I could I could put all this down and I don't know. I could go work at Guitar Center or something. Like, <laughs> just go around the corner and manage a Guitar Center and then just go home, have a nine to five, and you know, live my life. And you know, it'd be it'd be good. <laughs> like, do you ever do you ever have that? Do you ever have that? Eh, I'm gonna go to Coconuts kind of moment. Well, I I think anybody would be lying to you if they said it was. They never had a, a moment, or you know, it never got tough like that. I think in any small business or any large business as well, there's. Definitely challenging um, moments, <laughs> but for me, I never seriously contemplated it. I, I am very attached to the business and my my team here. You know, I I feel a deep commitment to everybody to not go work at Coconuts. Um, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Coconuts, but I, no, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't exist anymore. It's fine. It doesn't. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> but no, I mean, I. I for me, I'm um, my default is okay. We're in this really tough situation. How do we? What do we do now? Like how? I'm always like looking to go forward, and and when people present me with a problem, I really do my best to to be like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's great. This that's is great. maybe this is an opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm always trying to turn it around and, and look at the upside because I do believe to a certain extent that opportunities are often descri- dis- disguised as problems. And, um, you know, there, there's been many challenges with our company. We um, kind of bootstrapped it to start and that presents many, many challenges um, from getting equipment to getting staff to office space, you know, all, all kinds of things. And it's perhaps not, looking back on it, perhaps the way we started the business is probably not what I would recommend to a new person coming in. Oh, hey, I I will sometimes tweet out, you know, in frustration, hey, you know, I'm bootstrapping over here. You know, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, can I... it's hard. And, um, and, and, you know, we still come up against that these days. Um, we have a lot of great clients. We're, we're really busy. But there's still things that we would like to do we can't afford to do yet and so we look for alternative ways to to you know manage and um and it's made us running lean and mean like we have been it's made us innovative um we've done amazing work on low budget sometimes not perhaps ideal but it's made us really good at what we do and um i'm often amazed at the quality work that comes out and um, the upside of that story is the quality of work that comes out is now attracting bigger and bigger clients so there is some light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) right (laughs) well you know what I love I love bootstrapping and I have a special obviously you know I'm a bootstrapper myself I have a special place in my heart for bootstrappers and, and organizations that that bootstrap because I think you know, you always see, you know, these, these or hear about organizations like, um, and the biggest example right now in the social media world is, um, is are the WhatsApp guys, you know, mm-hmm. who, um, who got 
you know, who just barely made, you know, and maybe just barely is a, is a little bit of an exaggeration, but, you know, just got bought, you know, by Facebook um, uh, before having to, you know, before, you know, having to really tangibly sort of deal with their burn rate issues, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, VC funding is so tenuous. Um, and, and so, and, and I understand why startups do it, you know, I get it, but at the same time, how much equity do you own, you know, and, and with, with white Knight, you know, you're building something with equity that you own that's yours, you know, and if you do decide to, if you decide to give it away, you already know what the value of it or not give it away, but sell it, you know, you know what the value of it is already. Um, and you know, you're, you're in it for the long haul, you know, uh, a great, uh, a great consulting friend of mine who works up in, um, works up north in Albany, told me one time there's only two kinds of consultants, Asan. There's there's prize fighters that take everything and they become the brand themselves. And then there's um there's people who build brand equity, you know, and you guys are building brand equity, you know, for the long term. So I I really I'm really kind of uh, I'm really kind of amazed with that. Um so I like your I like the White Knight logo. Um talk to me about how you got to that logo. Like where did that where did the name White Knight come from? Where did that logo come from? Talk to me. Talk me through that process. Like, what is that? What is the significance of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the name came out of many discussions and um, exploration of what names were, you know, possible based on what's available. Be that <laughs> right. honestly part of it. Um, but we really liked White Knight. We liked the connotation of. Um, coming we, we like the connotation of being kind of um be, being kind of uh a company with integrity you know kind of noble in a positive way you know not in a uh, snooty way mm-hmm. um we we really like the idea of coming in and saving the day um now that we've been in the company the company is now five years old and um i don't know if it's entirely accurate this this idea of coming in and saving you know rescuing whatever it is rescuing (laughs) i don't think that's really accurate because what the reality is is it's a lot more collaborative than that it's um it's much more of a partnership with our clients so perhaps that was a little bit of a misconception we had at the beginning to be honest, but now we do have brand equity. Um, right. We do. We're, everybody at my company is proud to be a knight with a capital K, and right. um, you know we there there is something about that. Our work is very strong. We all feel very um, almost most days, you know, almost privileged to come to work and and, <laughs> and get to work with these these great people and on these great projects and. Um, you know, I, I, I toy with the idea of changing the name sometimes, tell you the truth. We've, um, transformed as a company from a video production team to a full ad agency. So we're still going by white Knight productions. I toy with white Knight creative or, you know, some other, some other variation on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't made a decision on that yet, or, or maybe even something totally different to reflect the new face of the agency. Right. Um, so I, I see everything as an evolution. We yeah. aren't the same company we were five years ago, and I five years from now we'll be different as well. 
Absolutely. We just keep Absolutely. improving, and that's my goal is to just keep getting better. I don't want to stagnate. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know what I mean. As a as as you make that, you know, you you said you made that shift from from just just doing video. I want to use mm-hmm. that in air quotes. To you know, being a. I, I see you, and and I mean, I I'm looking at it from the outside. So you know, uh, you know. And one of the things that uh, that interests me is always what people see of of my business from the outside, and then try to tell me, "Hey, you should do this." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, great, thank you, go away." Um, but what I <laughs> so now I'm going to do it to you. But, <laughs> but um, what I see from the outside is, you know, you guys transitioning to, like you said, that full service ad agency, sort of in the that old school mode, um, but with definitely using those definitely using those new school. Um, those new school tools. And, you know, there's a lot of strong competition in this area in the ad agency, in the ad agency field, which is like kind of surprising in the Binghamton Southern tier, you know, area. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. Why are you surprised by that? There are so many talented people here. There are, there are, you know, there are, there are a lot of talented people. I do not disagree with that. There are a lot of talented people. There are a lot of um, very, very bright, creative folks. I mean, Binghamton University, obviously, being um, being the, the epicenter of that, as well as SUNY Broome, you know. But it's the one of the knocks against this area. And again, coming from the outside, you know, coming from Minnesota, coming here, not knowing anything, not knowing anybody. One of the one of the things you'll you'll hear if you sit down, and you know this, you know, you sit down with somebody for like five minutes who's been here like the last 30, 40 years is, oh, this area, they want to, it used to be, you know, back in the day. And then they start having the back of the day conversation. Um, but when you see, you know, the ad agencies popping up, I always wonder, you know, who are the potential, who are the clients, you know, that, uh, that these, these places are, are pursuing. But, you know, like I said, you got some strong competition. You got Hugh, you know, they're doing some amazing things. You got ad elements. They're doing some amazing things. Um, and of course, a couple of others, um, Grey Goose, you know, is kind of developing into sort of, and that they kind of came out of nowhere for me. I kind of didn't see them coming. Um, and I find that to be very interesting, but you've got all these little, all these little ad agencies and, you know, eventually at a certain point, you know, some of you are going to, Gonna call me in to negotiate a contract between the two of you, so, so somebody could buy out somebody else. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, I'm betting on you. I'm, I'm betting on <laughs> betting on White Knight. That's that's what I'm betting on. Putting all my all my chips on um well on White. <laughs> well, I liked how you talked about you know creative integrity. What does that look like for you? Because as a as a person with a background in the fine arts, as I said, you know creative integrity is something that's very, very critical to me. And I had a background in printmaking, so, or I have a background in printmaking. So for me, creative integrity is about quality control. Everything's got to look the same coming out. Boom, 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 boom. Because when you're hand rolling 180 prints, they've all got to look alike, you know. Um, How does that show up for a transitioning, you know, ad agency like, like White Knight? What does that creative integrity look like? It looks like a lot of things. It looks like attention to detail. It's, it means that things don't go out the door unless, well, what we say internally is nothing goes out the door unless we think it can win an award. So um, I don't know if that's something we should say publicly or not, but, <laughs> but that's the standard that we hold ourselves to. Like we really feel like we want to reflect excellence in all the work we put out. So um, we're our own toughest critics and we foster a collaborative environment here at work so before anything does get shown to a client or go out it undergoes a a pretty pretty intense internal review and um we 
things that perhaps the layperson may not even notice, or um, and, and sometimes it's a little frustrating to me as the manager of the company. Um, you know, little things need to get tweaked because because it, it's not mm-hmm. right. You know, not right. perfect yeah. or whatever. And I never hear anybody here say, "Oh, it's just an ad." Oh, it's right. just. You know, just a billboard. Oh, well, that's just something that's just going to, yeah. <laughs> um, that's just not the white knight way. And we, we do hold ourselves to the standard, and that's what we call the white knight way. You know, we, we just have developed this reputation, and um, it's definitely internally driven. And um, it helps define who we hire coming on. It has to be somebody that values, you know, quality values, good work, and, um, and results, you know, it's, it's artistically, we want everything to look wonderful, and, you know, as perfect as possible, but um, ultimately, we're looking for results for the clients, so that always comes into play, we, we integrate the, the whole strategic um, plan with the art, and I think that's, that's the success model. You know, that's what, what has worked for us. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you know, so you're, you're, you're thinking about, because everything you put out there has your, like you said, has your name attached to it, your, your brand attached to it. And so it's, um, it's like your baby, you know, you put out a new baby out there every single time you let something out into the world. I like that, you know, nothing goes out the door unless it can win an award. I like that attitude. That's, that's a very strong, that's a very strong attitude. Um, how do you, well, you know, everybody has, you know, life hacks and process hacks. What are some process hacks that, without giving away anything, but what are some process hacks that you guys have for bringing a project from um, idea to to finish? You know, how are how are you doing that? I'm not telling you to give me the entire process, but, you know, what are some, some shortcuts that you've developed or some tools that you found work really well for you? Um, to bring a project from idea to finish, it's... It's a tough question to answer because it really depends on the project and the medium that mm-hmm. um, we, we're producing the work for. So um, I guess in general, we typically would begin with a brainstorming session to nail down the idea in the first place. And um, the, the budget has always got to be considered at that point. Because right. you can have these amazing ideas uh, that would require, you know, weeks of shooting if it's a commercial <laughs> or whatever, and that just may not be realistic. So yeah. um, we need to get on the same page as much as possible in that early part of the process. Right. And your brainstorm. Your brainstorming sessions have to be just amazing. Like, do you do you just bring your entire team into a room? You close the door. and You're like, okay. Spaghetti at the wall time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah, and that's really um, part of the fun, and that's what I hear from. We we do have a good, um, not a good. We we do have a great internal team here, but we also work with a variety of subcontractors and partners, um, freelancers. And what I often hear from people who are working more independently is that they miss that collaborative process. And of course, we bring them in from time to time on, on various projects. Um, but I think for our core team, that's probably one of the favorite parts of their job is to really just let loose with your you know, imagination and anything goes. And, and that's where some of the best ideas come from. 
Right. So that's yeah. where all the great projects start. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as a bad idea. It's just, you know, what ideas can we afford? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, so the, we have a big blackboard and we have whiteboards in the in the uh, conference room where we typically meet and uh, lots of colored pens and chalk and we just kind of go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that is that's amazing to me kind of listening to the process, because as a solo practitioner or, you know, as a, as a freelancer, sometimes I do freelance work um, and being a consultant is Half the time, actually not even half, a third of the time I'm a consultant, you know, the other third of my time, you know, I'm a freelancer, and the other third of my time I get to be an entrepreneur and go out and try to build a model um, and then break that model (laughs) and then go build another one. Um, And so um, just listening to that, you know, the collaborative piece and sitting in a room with 10 other people and kind of getting out of your own head, that's that's the the greatest thing that's how, i mean to me even just talking to you that sounds like the greatest thing ever you know the decisions i make as a solopreneur i make them and i live with them you know because i've decided after much internalized thought process hey this is what i'm going to do and it's going to work i'm just going to make it work um but you know sitting in a room with a team though that's a little bit of a different thing you have to take the temperature of the room you're engaging in emotional intelligence you're figuring out you know whose ideas are really really good and of course you know the members on your team so you know Who's going to be lifted up? Who's going to sit there and shut down if an idea doesn't work? Um, who's going to get overly enthusiastic? Who's going to be a little more quiet and then and then come to the forefront? You kind of know all this, and it changes the nature of the collaborative conversation. Yeah, very much so. And being very collaborative and inclusive, um, there's uh, our team. You know, we're not really shy. We've worked together for a long time, and it's uh, it, it's definitely fun to be part of that process. But it's I think it's critical to the development of ideas. I I know that there are creative folks out there that do the creative work and they do the sales and they do the bookkeeping and and all of that and I admire them, but I I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really thankful that we have a team. Um, I tend to do the the client relations and the business side of things. And and I love participating in the creative meetings, but um, I'm very you know thankful to be able to hand off the responsibility for most of the creative mm-hmm. to other people because that's their expertise and you know we all have our thing. Yeah, so um, it's it's great to be on a team when everybody's bringing their strengths to the table, mm-hmm. and um, and one of the things I'm really big on is employee development and um, helping everyone that works here achieve their goals. So we're always looking to see where we can provide, you know, training or enhancement or, um, you know, whatever it is. We typically have a meeting every Monday just to go over projects, and we have a rotating uh, show and tell where mm-hmm. everybody has to bring something to the table every few weeks Ooh. and just discuss it. You know, it can be a, a cool ad campaign they saw, a cool video or new component, new, new software we should get that would make the work process better. Um, it really could be anything, but knowing that you're responsible to um, bring that in every few weeks, is it's a little bit of pressure, but it's really fun. It's really fun to see what other people are doing. Right. So we try things like that, and um, we're toying with the idea of having – we have a blog, and we're toying with the idea of having the team um, – take turns blogging on topics that aren't necessarily their 
field of expertise. Mm-hmm. So um, Ashley does our, she's our marketing director. Yep. So she may have to do a blog on motion graphics and our motion <laughs> graphics artist may need to do a blog on marketing. Mm-hmm. But the advantage of that, you know, not only would Ashley learn about motion graphics in her research, she might find out something new that our motion graphics artist didn't even know. So we're toying with the idea the thing that's holding us back from implementing that is uh, just time. Everybody's really busy and I hate to put more <laughs> on right. them, yeah. but it's an interesting idea and we're, we may implement it in the new year. Well, as you know, you know, I'm an extensive blogger mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I blog every day, going to be, going to be bumping it up the human services, um, consulting and training communication blog, going to be bumping it up to twice a day, um, every day, um, starting here pretty soon. And so I'm a, I'm a prolific, you know, writer and blogger. I absolutely believe in blogging because I believe it's a platform you own, um, and I, I read a lot of other bloggers, and I look at what they're doing and, and how they're navigating the blogging territory. And it's content that you own, particularly, you know, obviously, you know, you own your own website, you own your own domain, and you're building fans and building, um, as Seth Godin would say, you're building your own little tribe there. And you are. I mean, you, over there, why not? You're building your own tribe there, you know. Um, and so I, I am a big proponent of blogging. I encourage you guys to blog. Please blog more. You know, I, I want to see what what's going. I would love to hear Ashley's perspective on motion graphics. Yeah. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing to read. Yeah, I um, think so. I think so. It's definitely something that we're we're um, putting on the on the schedule because I know it's important. Yeah. And for us, we're a small company. One of the challenges is that everybody has so many responsibilities. Yep. And um, sometimes vlogging can seem like, oh, just another thing we have to do. Just another one more thing we have to do. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's hard. Um, I like to write, and so it's one of the things I want to take on more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're in the process of hiring another person to take away some of the other things from my place so that that can happen. <laughs> Well, I mean, and that's what being an entrepreneur is all about and being a business – honestly, and being a business owner too is is figuring out kind of what you can take off your plate and what you can keep on your plate. Yeah. Like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't code every day anymore. He doesn't need to. He has 100 other people to code for him sitting in a room somewhere. So he can do other things like, you know, run Facebook. Right. Yeah, it's all just yeah. juggling. And, it's um, all just juggling. It, it's, it, 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 and it's fine on some level, but – there's so much value in bringing in people that are experts in whatever it is. Uh, right now I'm looking for a project manager and there's, there's very qualified people out there that are better than at project management than I am. I'm certain. And you know, it just, it just frees up more time to do more blogging. Time. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Well, you know, and also, you know, to do speaking and training and, and really to expand the white knight brand beyond, uh, because I, I know you're, you're an ambitious person. And so, you know, I know you're looking to expand that brand. I know you're, I know you got to have some territories in mind in some geographic locations of where you like to see, you know, this idea go. Um, yeah. And, and, Every good entrepreneur, that's especially one that's bootstrapped, knows expansion is the only way to survive. Yeah, you know, particularly totally. particularly in this economy. Well, um, we've had a really good conversation. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Um, talk to me about. I, I like what you said about employee development. Talk to me about how you maintain employee loyalty. Um, I'm fascinated by customer loyalty programs. Um, only from the perspective that they don't work and QR codes kill me. This is between you and me and the wall. 
<laughs> just absolutely kill me. But um, but you know, how do you how do you engage in employee loyalty? How do you keep your team loyal to you? You know, it sounds as though you've really developed that core team um, around around White Knight. How do you um, how do you maintain their interest and keep them coming in day in and day out? Well, I think the nature of our company makes that a little easier than perhaps some other types of businesses because um, one of the things that people say that they want in a job is, is that creativity. You know, we, we offer that. We, that's our business <laughs> is uh, fostering the creativity in our team. And I think coming to work and um, having that be your job is pretty cool and fulfilling on levels that have nothing to do with money or other, you know, benefits. I would say that our loyalty comes um, a lot less from money and other benefits than from the ability to be creative, the respect for one another's work, the collaborative atmosphere. Um, You know, of course we try to provide perks as much as possible. We, um, we we're very busy, but we make an effort to go out as a team <laughs> right. now and then and get a pizza or, you know, grab a couple of drinks and uh, it helps that everybody likes each other <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. out together. Um, there's not a lot of conflict. We, we hire very carefully. So the people that I'm always looking for are very positive and upbeat and, forward thinkers, you know, big thinkers. And I think that um, being in this atmosphere, you know, I would venture to say that that people like to come to work, you know, for the most part. I'm sure that there's parts of everybody's job that they are less enthusiastic about than others. But I really think we've created something here where we're proud of what we do. We, you know, we like doing it. We like each other. And, um, I think that's created the loyalty to the company. Awesome. It's, awesome. Uh, we also have a policy of um, you're only allowed to complain to me. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no complaining to each other. Um, so I think that helps. Like I'm all about being that's positive. Yeah. And, um, and I do a lot of personal development and leadership development. I try um, to the best of my abilities to – keep um, offering all the employees opportunities to grow and, and um, to, to kind of try to coach them to, uh, you know, to, to become the, the people that they want to be, to have the career path that they want to have. And at a certain point when they are ready to leave the company, I always try to make that very positive and say, you know, how can I support you? What, you know, let me help you get to your next right. step. You're not Absolutely. leaving. Um, you know, you're, you're always a knight. <laughs> yeah. You're always a knight. I love that. You're always a knight. Let me support you. Let me help yeah. you. Let me prepare you for the next great opportunity. I love that. That is an entrepreneurial attitude. I, I, I love that. Well, um, my last question is, um, you know, I always ask, I always ask my guests hypothetical, the hypothetical battle question, um, you know, and I always have fun with this. So I try to pick two people from um, a particular field and I always ask people to kind of do a thought process in their brain. So, um, 
you know, you know Seth Godin, you know Mitch Joel, two two bald guys, you know, got got the got the dome, the chrome domium kind of thing going on there. Um, both got the glasses, both got a certain marketing ad agency look. Seth Godin, giant monster in in his area. Mitch Joel, giant monster, you know, one of the forty best, you know, Canadians under forty working in in the field of marketing and ad and 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 with an ad agency right now. Um, both guys, you know, who I follow and I I. I consume a lot of what they put out there um, and try to apply it to how I run my business and how I think about about the marketing for what I'm doing. Um, but uh, if a marketing rap battle, you know, were to occur between Seth Godin and Mitch Joel, you know, as, a, as an expert in this field, as a person who's been in this space for a while, in your opinion, who would win? Hypothetical battle. Hypothetical battle. So I have Hypothetical to ask battle. you, so a conflict resolution guy is pretty cool with this, like, battle question. What is the Well, hey. You know, I gotta, I gotta create a conflict so I can come in and solve it, right? Because <laughs> there may not be a conflict. There may be room for everybody. There might be room for everybody. I'm you not know? saying there's not, but you know, everybody I mean, has, you know, everybody has bits of wisdom. Um, it's kind of how I feel about the, yeah, you, you talked about the ad agencies here locally. I, I think there's a place for everybody. You know, to a certain extent, I really do. I think that you know, certain clients mesh better with certain people and. And uh, both of those gentlemen certainly have great advice to give. And I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not seeing them fighting it out. Are you? <laughs> well, I know that they've, I know they both, um, you know, sat on panels before. And um, I know behind the scenes, you know, they're, they're going back and forth and having, having conversations. So I, you know, it's, this is honestly, this is not the most difficult hypothetical battle. I, I asked, uh, I asked a previous guest about, you know, Bob Dylan versus Neil Diamond. So, wow. You know, so, you know, know, it's, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things. Well, I would like to thank you, um, Ellen, for, uh, for joining us today on, um, on Earbud U. We had a great conversation, um, really kept it moving. And I I learned a lot um, about where White Knight is, about your background, um, and about what you're passionate about. And so um, I want to thank you for, for coming on today. Sure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Earbud U. Get your knowledge on through your earbuds. We talked today um, with Ellen Barton, CEO of White Knight Productions. Take time to follow us on Twitter at Earbud U or follow us on Instagram also at Earbud U. We are online. Check out the Human Services Consulting and Training website at www.hsconsultingandtraining.com. Click on the Earbud U link to download our latest episode. Join us next time where we'll have another special guest and we'll talk more and get more knowledge on through your earbuds. Good night.